This is Darren Davis, founder and senior leader of the Harbor Church in South Florida, and you are listening to the Harbor Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and others, visit us online at harborchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Revival is family, and that God is building relationship among his people. He is bringing us together in community which there's deepening of intimacy that's happening among one another, as is our deepening of intimacy happening with Jesus, right? As God draws us closer to him, as we come to know him, to know God. I mean, think about this. We are on a journey to really know God, the one who always was, is, and always will be. Can you imagine, like, the, the, the potential that we have because of what Jesus has done to have an intimate relationship with the Father because he is close to us, right? And then we can get fashioned in our identity, like knowing who we are, right? I am a son. I am a daughter. I am loved. I have purpose. There is something specifically that God has designed for me to do, right? And then we start to walk this stuff out in the world where people start to go, oh, wow, there is a follower of Jesus. There is a disciple of Jesus, right? And people see tangibly the Lord on our lives by his grace flowing through us, right? So it's knowing God. But harbor at home, this whole concept really of engagement, where we take intentionality to go deeper with one another's lives and learn what it looks like to love people. How many of you know that you can't say you love God and hate your neighbor, right? Or be frustrated with a fellow believer, right? Those things happen, but God has taken us deeper in really this whole vertical component of our faith and fleshing it out where it becomes authentic horizontally with one another, right? And so one of the things that we're looking at doing um, this fall, starting at the the end of September, I think third week in September, is we're going to launch out into focused engagement with one another where we really learn how to love one another. And that's going to be actually taking place here at this city hub. So every Sunday, this is some, maybe some new news for some of you, but every Sunday we'll be here, but we'll be focusing on these two components, knowing God, loving people. And then fifth Sundays, we'll be saying, Hey, let's go and and get outside of the four walls of a church building or a small group, you know, space and go and impact our world, you know, go really get out and be salt and light in the midst of, of this, of this community. And so really encourage you um, to come September 11th, I think, is, if I'm not mistaken, is the Sunday where we're going to be just kind of sharing some vision of what this new uh, calendar rhythm is going to look like for ministry this year, starting in September, running through May. Of course, we have our summer Selah break where we kind of take a, take a downturn in all things just ministry peripheral and just kind of come together like we've been doing over the course of the summer. And so come out on September 11th, would you? All right, Harbor at Home is getting ready to launch here in the ministry center. It's going to be a lot of fun. Everybody doing okay this morning? Uh, It's so good to see your faces. Uh, So good to be with you. Um, As Wendy mentioned, we were away for a little bit. She was actually away a little more than me. Uh, But God did some beautiful things in our hearts. Um, One of the primary things that we were doing recently was getting our son settled into his new university where he just transferred Um, in Boone, North Carolina, called Appalachian State, and so he's now settled into that space and super happy, and we had just a really good time with him. And actually, while we were up there, and this is where I want to share from my heart, we have two more messages on this Brave series, and then we're going to launch into building the wall. We're going to look into Nehemiah. It's going to be an amazing fall together as we learn to know God and understand him through uh, the prophet Nehemiah. And so while I was up in North Carolina, I had, um, you know, just kind of when your heart, how many of you know it's, it's good to kind of unravel and wind your heart down where you can be tender and listen a little more clearly, right? Like life is so fast paced uh, so often, especially here in South Florida, right? We're just going, we're doing, we're all kinds of things are happening in our lives. And the Lord actually wants us to quiet our hearts, get into a place with him where we can really hear what he has to say. It says those who hear the Lord or follow the Lord are the sons and daughters of God. Did you know you have capacity to hear Jesus, to hear him lead you, that little quiet whisper over your hearts and take you where he wants you to go? 
So while we were away, I, I, I felt some stirring around God building homes in his church that are unshakable. Come on, somebody. Wow, what would that look like if we had families and homes, marriages that were unshakable in this moment, in this hour? This is what he's up to. In fact, he said, I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to build a church where even the very gates of hell can't prevail against her, right? And this is going to start in our homes. It's going to start practically in our homes. And the more that I kind of looked into this, it really revolves around one word um, that we're going to kind of focus on today for our time, and it's the word obedience, now, that word may sound a little whatever to you based on the filter of your, your experience, but here's what the Lord says. He says it is better to obey than to sacrifice. I think the church in our mode of operation for maybe a few generations has been very sacrificial. And that's not bad in and of itself, right? We, 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 I think there's a legitimate, sincere heart to do something for God. We want our lives to matter. We want our lives to count, right? We want to we wanna make every breath that we take and every day that we get to live matter and make a difference, right? But it's way more important to obey than it is to sacrifice. Often sacrifice can get us into religious activity, I was, just, I was just listening to a guy that I actually admire. I haven't heard him speak for a while. He was actually part of a, a main primary speaker at a youth movement in, in the northern part of Alabama called The Ramp. And I listened to a recent message of his, and he's had this encounter with the Lord where he was like, guys, all of the stuff I was preaching before now actually wasn't even true. And he was sincere. He said, I was so sincere. I was so wanting to do something for God. And the Lord broke me out of sacrificial living into a place of obedient living where I was able to hear what Jesus was saying, obey his teachings, and build my house upon something that's unshakable. Last night, a friend of mine called me from Argentina, and he said, Darren, you can't imagine the shaking that's happening in our country right now. I said, Tell me about it. He said, he said, seven out of ten people are living below the poverty line. The, the, the rate of inflation has risen 90 plus percent, and the corruption in the country is just being exposed left, right, center. There is a shaking that's taking place, right? And we were, but we encouraged each other in the Lord. I said, but God is building his house. God is building families upon something solid that in the next whatever shaking that comes, we will be immovable. Come on, somebody. We will be immovable in the Lord. So let's look at this. Matthew chapter 7. Let's just kind of dive in here a little bit. Verse 24. How many of you know when Jesus speaks is pretty important? Come on. He says, everyone who hears my teaching... He's not talking about intellectual assent. He's talking about cultural conditioning. He wants to change our mindsets, our belief systems, and align them with the culture of heaven. Right? We've given ourselves to study of the scriptures. That's beautiful. But how many of you know if we don't catch the culture of what heaven is all about, what the kingdom of God is all about, we're really missing the bigger picture, right? So he said, everyone who hears my teaching or the culture that I'm trying to institute, here's the big kicker, and applies it to his or her life. It's not just hearing, it's application. Super practical, meaning we're going we're gonna to get understanding, but we're going to take that understanding and it's going to bear fruit. There's going to be something that comes from it, right? He says, I can compare this very thing to a wise man who built his house upon an unshakable foundation. Some versions say upon a rock. So a little story. When we were in North Carolina, where we were staying, where Luke is going to school in Boone, 
there's an area of that part of North Carolina that I want to, to familiarize you with. Because I have this sense that there's going to be a connection between here and there in the coming years. We'll go into more of that at another time, but I feel there's a connection. How many of you know it's so good to bridge the ocean with the mountains? Then you get the best of both worlds. Come on, somebody. Right? Come on, we do life in this city, but what would it look like if we had a place that we could send families, send business leaders, send couples to go and just get alone with Jesus on the mountaintop? Come on, right? But there's this this beautiful area where we were that actually is called the Wachovia Track. And now you've, many of you may have heard or may not have heard of a, a bank called Wachovia, but it's, it's the area right there in North Carolina that, that, that starts around Winston-Salem, if you've ever heard of that city, and runs all the way up to a little town called Blowing Rock, just north of where Boone is, where Luke is going to be going to school. Now, the interesting thing about the Wachovia Track is that it was purchased by Moravian missionaries in the late 1700s. If you haven't studied the Moravian the missionary movement, the only reason they, could, they called it this is because these, these ones were from Moravia. This is pre-Reformation, by the way. This is pre-Luther. This is when the, the church had been in great darkness. There was these ones that rose up out of a place of intimacy with God, really got a hold of him, knew him in some ways that would just blow your mind. And there was this guy by the name of Count Zinzendorf that took these and harbored these ones that were under tremendous persecution, and he allowed them to come live on their land when they had nowhere else to go. And it was in this valley of the walk near Vienna, Austria, Count Zinzendorf made space for them, and it was out of honor for him, and the land looked very similar when they made their way to North Carolina, that they called this place Wachovia, or Valley of the Walk, for where their roots had began. It's so important for us to understand, there has been foundation laid by generations before us, if we could grab a hold of like what they've done, jump onto the backs of their progress and move things forward in the grace of God. Now, the interesting thing is in this Wachovia track, there's three primary uh, volcanoes that used to be active. There's one um, called Pilot Mountain. If you remember in the Andy Griffith show, this is so old school. I mean, I don't even know if they show Andy Griffith reruns now anymore, but but he was, it was Mount Pilate where he would go at times in, in his travels nearby where he lived in Mayberry, right? And there's actually a little town called Mount Airy where he grew up, and that's where he wrote the story that became the Andy Griffith Show. But Mount Pilate, or Pilate Mountain, is a capped volcano. It's this big thing that rises up out of the middle of nowhere. And then if you come a little closer... There's an area called Moravian Falls, and there's a, a mountain there called Poor's Knob, another cat volcano. And then if you go up a little bit further north into the high, high country, there's another volcano um, on, on what was called Mount Mitchell, one of the highest points in the eastern part of the United States. The reason I want to say this is that you don't get beauty unless they're shaking. Mountains, how many of you know, are formed out of what? Volcanic activity. Do you understand that? The reason there are mountains is because there were shaking through volcanic, volcanic activity, and there is beauty that comes through the shaking. But if you don't feel stable in the midst of it, let me tell you, it is one of the most terrifying things that you could ever experience. I remember I was 13 years old, <clears throat> hunting in my state of Montana with my parents, some friends, and hunting in Montana, you don't go sit in deer stands. I mean, you get up four in the morning and you hike to the top of Rocky Mountains and you wait in, in meadows to see if, you know, the animals are going to come out and stuff. And we had just gotten started with our day. The sun is coming up. We're all kind of hundreds of yards from each other. And all of a sudden I hear like breaking of rock. It was very strange. And as I looked up to where the sound was coming from, I could see like something happening literally with the land up where I was hearing the sound and it was making its way towards me. And as I did, the trees were just shaking as violently as I've ever seen them before. And then the whole mountain began to roll. I'm, I'm not exaggerating, at least six feet up, at least six feet down. 
and I'm just thinking, I'm gonna die here on the side of this mountain. And I fell down and I just was grabbing a hold of any ground that I could that I could get my hands on. And man, it felt so unstable. It felt like everything was being displaced. There was a prayer meeting that the Moravians started in the Wachovia Tract that lasted day and night for 75 years. I was thinking about that. I was like, intimacy, understanding of Jesus and his teachings is what allows us the capacity to build houses upon the rock of who he actually is. I was hiking with a, with a guy. I want to show you this picture. Right dead center in the middle of, if you could put the picture up of the mountain, the rock mountain, there's right dead center, if we have it, there is a mountain called Stone Mountain. There's one in Atlanta. Um, this is one actually right there in North Carolina. And I was hiking up there, and as I was in that area, there's also a homestead that is built literally right on the bottom part of this mountain. Um, I think it's called Hutchinson's Homestead. And the beautiful thing about this is that they were very prosperous as they were establishing their home in this area. You know, volcanic activity also brings forth really good soil and produces a lot of things as it relates to crops and stuff like that, right? And so here I was in um, this part of the, the, the landscape and I just began to just feel God kind of speaking to me. I don't know if we're going to be able to pull this up. If we do, we'll do it a little bit later. But he showed me, hey, Darren, there is a rock that I'm giving the church to build their house upon. And here's what it looks like, all right? Let's go back to Matthew 7, 24 again. Everyone who hears my teaching and applies it to his life can be compared to a wise man who built his house on an unshakable foundation. What's our stone mountain? That's the question. What's your stone mountain? What can you say, here's how I'm building, and here's the fruit that I'm actually experiencing as I build? I want to submit that the stuff I'm going to talk to you about today for me and Wendy in our, in our 30 plus year journey with Jesus is no longer theory. It has become very, very much tied to the existence of who we are as his kids. So when he talks about everyone who hears my teaching, he didn't say teachings. He didn't say all my little messages. He, he talked about the general theme of everything that he was going to talk about. Everyone who hears this cultural teaching and then applies it to their life, they are like ones who are wise that are building their house upon a rock. So I don't have time today to go into all of the teaching of Jesus. It's all throughout the New Testament. But what I want to do just for this morning is I want to back up two chapters. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give a quick summary of six, chapter six, and then we're going to jump into seven, and I'm going to give you four things to really consider from chapter seven that you need to begin to hear and apply to your life to build your house upon the rock. And again, amen. Chapter six, just two chapters here, and this is like, this will just hopefully help you today. These are just two little glimpses into the teachings of Jesus that parallel or right preface the verse that we just read, right? So it gives some context to like, hey, just take a look back a little bit on what I just said and then hear this and apply this, right? And this will work for you. But chapter six, it's important for you to hear, has to do with the inner motives of our heart. That really is between us and God. Only God sees, only we really know. At times we have blind spots that we don't even understand, right? But it has to do with the inner motives of our heart. And you're going to have to go study this for yourself. 
But he talks about, hey, when you do charitable deeds, don't do them to be seen by men. Are you following me? So when you're going to give or be generous or do good things for God, don't do them because you want to be seen by people, right? That's a whole motive thing, right? Like, and oftentimes we want to be recognized. We want to be seen. Have you ever given yourself to things of the Lord and you knew nobody was watching and in some ways you feel the void of that? You feel kind of unappreciated? You feel like, man, does anybody even know what I'm up to? The sacrifice that I've given? And there's people in this room that have lived like that. It's hard and it's difficult, but we're not in this so that people can see and pat us on the back for all the good things that we're doing at the end of the day, right? There's an, what is our motive here? He said, when you pray and fast, do it in secret. Juan, you ever been on a fast and you tell everybody how hungry you are and that you're seeing Snickers bars and the clouds in the sky right on? Just, man, I've been fasting for three days and, oh, my gosh. We, we, you know, he said, do that, do that in secret. Like, just do that before me. Walk with me in this kind of a way. He also talks about laying up treasures in heaven. How many of you know that there really is an eternal reward that we will all get one day? There's, we're heaven now, right? This is, this is there, we're living in eternity at the moment. Jesus said that we pass from death into life. We're not gonna die one day. We're just gonna enter from life into more life when we do pass on, right? So, so it's, it's not that we're not in eternity now, but this, there is eternal rewards. There are things that we're storing up that, man, no one can steal, you know, moth and rust can't corrupt, and, and we should be giving ourselves, like, what does it look like for us to store up things that will carry over into the next realm of eternity for us, right? He said, don't live to serve riches. Live to serve God. There's no problem with making money. The problem is when money is what we serve versus the Lord, dominates us. It's, it's, it's what controls us. It's our motivation. No, do what God called you to do. Love every day of the life that you get to live in the job that he has placed you in. Pray to God that you'll be promoted, blessed. You know, you'll have wisdom. You'll have insight. You'll excel. You're, you'll achieve greatly. And then serve the Lord in that place versus running. Out. Every, everybody I see that chases after the money, they end up in an empty place, Right? So don't serve money, but serve God. And lastly, and I'm wrapping this part up, he says, do not worry what you will eat, what you will drink, or the shelter that you need to survive. Worry should not dominate that part of your life. In 1995, Wendy and I moved to Dallas, Texas, and for two years while we were there, I thought I was going for Bible school. It was, had nothing to do with Bible school at the foundation. It had everything to do with the inner motives of my heart. And before him, in his presence daily for two years, it felt like God was unrelenting in his love to remove any and every motive that was going to some way displace the beauty of Jesus that needed to be fashioned in my heart so that I could be prepped for what was next, which is the external expressions of the heart towards others. Hear me now. It's painful when the love of God comes in to remove everything that hinders love because we've made so many of those things a part of our identity. We've become familiar with those spaces. But the love of the Lord is pursuing those parts of the motives of our heart to get deep and down that we can be positioned to externally express the love of Jesus to other people. So that's what chapter seven's all about, all right? You ready just to look at four quick things before we wrap this up? I want you to write these down. I want you to write these down and I want you to actually study this out over the next week or so. Give yourself to this. See if 
anything kind of pops off in your heart as you look at these four teachings of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, can we hear it and can we obey it? First one is this. He says, do not biasly judge other people. Of all the things, after he deals with the motives of the heart, when he says, hey, now you're going to be set to, to be positioned to express the work that I've done on the inside of you to other people, the first thing he says is do not biasly judge others. You know what bias means? It means a personal and sometimes unreasonable judgment or prejudice. Here's the reason this one is so massively important that we don't have an an, an unreasoned judgment or prejudice before other people. Listen, (laughs) let's just look at the verse here. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Look what he says. He says, refuse to be a critic full of bias towards others or, and it says here in this translation, judgment will be passed on to you. But here's the deal. It's not from the Lord. The judgment isn't from the Lord. It's from actually the principle that's here. The only reason judgment actually still exists and prejudice still exists on the earth is because we judge and then we reap the the fruit of that judgment. Jesus took all judgment upon himself on the cross. Do you understand? All prejudice, all brokenness, all sin, everything that was destructive to humanity came upon Jesus. There's no future judgment that needs to be dished out or doled out to make anything more righteous. Do you understand me? There are repercussions of sowing and reaping that's going on in the world, and those are realities because we are judging other people with our hearts. In fact, there's all kinds of scriptures I could show you about where the Lord says, listen, when you look at other people, you better look at them through the lens of my eyes and how I see them because of what Christ has accomplished on their behalf, even if they don't know it yet. Do not judge or that judgment will be passed on to you. Darren, what are you talking about? Trust me, I know what I'm saying here. Early on, as a young, zealous preacher of the gospel, I had a lot of thoughts about a lot of other leaders, including at times leaders over me. And what I found is when I had that judgment in my heart, eventually that thing came back on myself and it broke me. Where I'm I'm like pretty, right now where I'm at, I don't really have anything to, I don't have any unbiased opinions of anybody. Now, does that mean that we, we shouldn't be wise as it relates to other people and, and look for fruit? We're going to get to that in a minute. Of course not. But I'm not going to make a judgment call about somebody that I don't even know. I don't even know their story. And there's way too much judgment in the church. We're judging each other all the time. We are sizing each other up, looking at what clothes we're wearing, how we present ourselves, like, you know, imagining what we think we know about a person when we don't know anything about them. We don't know their story. We don't know their journey. We don't know their history. And we haven't even made any space for that. Instead, now we're religiously judging them based on our perceptions. I'm not angry. Come on, somebody. That's just passionate Darren, all right? But isn't it true? That's why we need engagement in the church. You need to get to know other people and their stories and hear about their journey. And then maybe you'll go, oh my gosh, I had so many other thoughts about you, you know, in my flesh or whatever, in my old nature, because, you know, I just didn't really get it. I didn't really have a love capacity or quotient for you. He says in verse 2, for you'll be judged by the same standard that you've used to judge others And the measurement you use on them will be used on you. Stop it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And he says, this is the first thing that I want you to understand and obey. So let's get practical here on this one real quick. Verse 5, how do you get practical? He says, first, everybody say first. 
Where do I start, Lord? Okay. He lays it out. First, number one, he says, acknowledge your own blind spots and deal with them. Here's the thing. Blind spots are blind spots because you can't see them, but everybody else can. Or the people especially that know you very well, right? So here's the kicker to this one. If you don't have somebody in your life that's actually going to come to you in love and tell you about the blind spot that you have that's, that's affecting your walk with the Lord, man, we are in trouble. For all the married people in the room, your spouse should be your biggest blind spot advocate. At first, I'm just thinking, man, Wendy doesn't know what she's, first 10 years, 15 years of marriage, Wendy doesn't know what she's talking about. Right? Now I'm like, just tell me the truth. She'll look at me, you can't handle the truth. No, I, I can handle the truth now. Because she comes and she entreats me with love. But she tells me the truth. We were watching this movie the other night, King Henry, England, and the story of this young king's life coming up. And there's a lot of problems and deceptions like in that, in that realm. You know, can you imagine being a king over an entire nation? Everybody's got motives. Everybody's out for different things. And he ends up, you know, conquering France. And then the, the, the king of France had just married my daughter. And it was so beautiful in this one scene, this girl just tells him the truth. And one of the things that she said, he didn't actually believe. And then he found out that what she was saying was actually true, that he was betrayed by this guy, that there was no assassination attempt on his life, which lured him in to invading France. And then he comes back to her right before they go to their wedding. And he says to her, always, I need you to promise me one thing, always tell me the truth. Do we have people in our lives that will be honest with us? We get so insecure, right? when we have people tell us the truth. But we must first acknowledge our own blind spots, deal with them, and then you'll be capable of dealing with the blind spot in your friends. Some translations say that that little sliver in their eye, but you have the log in yours, right? Deal with that first. Is everybody still with me? Is everybody offended? Or, or should we just close the service down right now here? Offended. Second one, quickly. I love this one. He says, keep asking, keep knocking, and keep seeking. <laughs> we give up way too early. I think Chris Valentin said something like this. He said, man, if people only knew how close they were to breakthrough right before they gave up, what about the things of God? What about the things we believe that we haven't seen yet? What if we were a people to externally express the work that God's done in our life? We give ourselves to asking, to seeking, and to knocking. Look what Matthew chapter 7 says in verse 7. He says, ask and the gift is yours. Come on, there's a lot of things that God wants to give us, but he's waiting for us to what? Ask him. Ask and the gift is yours. Seek and what? You'll discover. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He goes on in the next verse to talk about this woman who is very persistent. For everyone who is persistent will get what he asked for. Our son Luke, all right, it's just his personality. When he gets something in his mind, he is going to seek, knock, and ask until he gets it. And it almost drives me bananas. It's like I just have to do it because I can't take any more of his persistence. He had this thing in his mind that when he turned exactly, I think it's 16, to get the, the driver's license in Florida, he was just, work, Dad, and he would remind me every day, Dad, in six months, I'm getting that license. In five months and 39 days, I'm getting, you know, and, and I was like, after like a few months, this, I'm like, Luke, enough, I got it. You're going to get your license, right? You're going to do this thing. But he was persistent. 
I mean, I not only wanted him to have his life, I was just like, let me buy you a car. Let me do whatever. Just drive away, son. Drive into the sunset. (laughs) Think about this. Verse 10, he's starting to, actually verse 9, he starts to kind of model a little bit of the culture of the father. Look at this with me quickly. We're wrapping this up. He says, do you know of any parent who would give his hungry child who asked for food a plate of rocks instead? Verse 10, or when he asked for a piece of fish, what parent would offer his child a snake instead? Verse 11, if you, as perfect and imperfect as you are, know how to lovingly care for your children and give them what's best, how much more ready is your heavenly father? Willing and ready to give you the wonderful gift to those who ask it of him. This is important to understand the nature of the Father because then we can model this same nature to other people. Look at, look at verse 12. He says, in everything you do, be careful to treat others in the same way you would want them to treat you, for that is the essence of the teachings of the law and all of the prophets. In other words, how the Father teaches and treats you, I want you to model that exact same thing to other people. Quickly, two more. Number three is only enter through the narrow gate, which is the way of Jesus. Huh. Matthew 7, 13, he says, come to God through the narrow gate because the gate is wide. The wide gate and and broad is the path that leads to destruction. Nearly everyone chooses that crowded road. What is this way of Jesus? What is he talking about here? What is this gate that he wants us to walk through? It's the doorway that welcomes sons and daughters to come in and find their way ultimately to the Father. Jesus never even came just to invite us to himself. He actually says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except what? Through me. His intentionality was to give us this pathway on the way of sonship and daughterhood. This is about family. This is about becoming children of God. And there's an entrance point. Listen, he's not looking for orphans anymore. He's not looking for pseudo-children that don't even know him, right? He's like, follow after me and come through this, this pathway of family and relationship and sonship. Jesus is the doorway to the Father. And then he gives a guard. He says, be on guard, verse 16 Chapter A, verse A, uh, part A, he said, be on guard against false prophets. He says, you can spot them by their actions, for the fruit of their character will be obvious. This is where we don't have judgment, but we have the ability to not follow after people that don't know the way of Jesus. You have to understand, listen, even Abraham, even whatever man of God trying to show you what the Father looks like, there's, there's, there's a challenge for them to actually do that. It takes God to reveal God. It takes the Son of God in the flesh to give revelation to who the Father actually is. And so that's why we have to come through the way of Jesus. It's not through false prophets that say, follow after me and the fruit of their lives don't look anything like what the gospel actually is all about. And he said, man, back in the early church, there was like all these people trying to get everybody to follow after them. And Jesus is like, they're false prophets, false prophets, false prophets. And he says, follow after me. How conditioned are we to religion that we think? Think about it. The Sadducees, Pharisees, um, what other C's were there? Seven C's. Um, you know, they were convinced like what they knew of God was God. And then when Jesus comes, they say he's the devil. 
Can you imagine? The one who created all things, the one who had no sin, was perfect. They called him the devil. Can you imagine how bent and warped their cultural mindset was in what they thought was God, and they had built their whole lives on this thing that was going to come tumbling down? And it did. Everything got shaken. Everything they knew, the temple that they worshipped, got ripped to shreds, right? Not by the Lord. But it did, it got taken out, and and he's like, he warned them. He's like, listen, if you don't repent, if you don't change the way you think, the people that follow you are going to become twice the sons of hell as you are. You're reproducing bad fruit. Maybe this is a little too heavy. Let's move on to the next point as we close. Band can come up. The last thing he closes with, he said, know the giver and not just his gifts. Ooh, all the charismatics in the room. Ah, I want the gifts. I want the gifts. You're going to get the gifts, but you need to know the giver first, right? He warns and he says this in Matthew 7, 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the realm of heaven's kingdom. It is only those who persist in doing the will of my heavenly father. This is that obedience versus sacrifice, right? It's out of intimacy. It's out of relationship. Verse 22, he says, on that day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, don't you remember us? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons and do many miracles for the sake of your name? But I will say to them, go away from me, you lawless rebels. I never were joined to you. Intimacy, joined. You know, harbor because we make space for God's presence, for his gifts and stuff. We have a lot of people that are drawn here and stuff. I love it. But some of the cruelest people that I've had the unfortunate privilege to know, can I have a kid sitting there, man, were some of the most super pseudo-spiritual people. Would prophesy on a dime. Pray for the sick. Dance in the presence of the Lord. And I'm thinking, do you even know God? It's one of the reasons so many people have turned and been like, I don't want any part of that because the enemy has worked that angle so bad. It's been so damaging. You won't find a person more hungry for the supernatural realities of God than myself. But I will not give myself to those at the expense of me not giving myself to the Lord. And you as my friends, as people that I have the privilege to know and to pastor, that you could say, man, that guy knows the Lord. He's a safe person. He's a normal guy, right? He has a track record of integrity. This is what the church needs in this moment. Because here's the thing. There's a new river that we're getting ready to jump into. I want to close with this. When we were up there in this Wachovia track that runs from Winston-Salem up to Blowing Rock right through Moravian Falls where 75 years night and day prayer happened. There's a river hidden up in the mountains that's called the New River. We drove by it. They have like a, a place there called Scooby-Doo's or something, Shabu's or something. That it's like a, a, a business that rents you out like like uh, the tubes that you can float down in the lazy river, right? And people just go up there in the, by the droves and they just sit on these things with their friends and they take in the beauty. All day trip. I was like, oh, Wendy, I wish we could do that. I wish we had time to do that. And as I was looking at this new river, I actually felt to go and study it. Do you know it's one of the oldest rivers in the world? And besides the Nile River, it's the only other one that flows from the south. There's one here in Jackson, outside of Jacksonville as well, that flows from the south to the north. From the ocean higher into the mountains. But you know what they called it the new river? 
because it was so hidden in the beauty of what God had formed out of this volcanic activity. They never saw it. And when they discovered it, they said, oh, here's the new river, the river we didn't know about. Did we ever find those photos? Did we ever find them? Okay. Yeah, look at this. I mean, standing before this mountain, I'm like, have you ever seen a rock that big before? It's one rock, right? Lots of disruption, lots of heat, lots of pressure. You ever felt like that in life? And then there was this long cooling off period that gave it the formation that it did. And if there's the other picture of the house, they built right below this. Here's the, 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 the homestead that goes back into the 1800s. And what was beautiful, as I looked at this story, there was so many other people that settled in this place. And the guy that I was hiking with, he said, do you know what, Darren? They all worked together to survive the moment. I was like, what do you mean? Some raised hogs, some raised corn, some grew, you know, vegetables and stuff. And there was harvest time once a year. And they all came together and they shared with one another all of the things that God had given them bounty to produce. Come on, church. Come on. Listen. We're going somewhere together. And it's not going to be a big rush and busyness of all kinds of activity. We're going to find a new river that's hidden within the mountains. And we're going to bring with each other the bounty of what the Lord has given to us. There's stuff in you. There's stuff in you. There's stuff in people all over this room that God's placed on the, on the depths within you. And you know what's meant to be shared? If we think community is, is a big thing now, just wait until we see where God's taking the church, man. He's bringing, even if it will be a remnant at first, he'll bring people together that are sold out for this path. The Moravians weren't massive in number, but they made one of the biggest impacts on this planet as a movement of people that were sold out to Jesus. Moved, where we're no longer callous and cynical 
and doubtful and fearful, but Lord, we're alive in you. I'm asking even Holy Spirit right now that the life of God would begin to fill this place and fill the hearts of those in this room, those watching over live stream, those that will listen to this later. God, come and fill our hearts with your life. Come on, ask him for that. God, fill my heart with your life. Lord. God, there is more that you have for us. There's more that you long for us to experience. Even amidst all the beauty being created and the activity, Lord, there is an opening. Listen, everybody look at me for one second really quick. You've got to understand this. When he talks about the rains coming and the floods coming and stuff he, and the winds blowing, right? It's because we're safe in that because we live on top of the mountain. We're seated with Jesus. When winds blow on top of mountains, it makes the trees stronger. When the rains come, it brings life and greenness to the ground. Do you understand? And even when rivers flood, don't ever build your house next to a river, by the way. A river can flood, right? But what it will do is it will overflow into flood plains. Have you ever heard of those? And then you can plant crops there and you can prosper with those crops. All these things that are coming, they're for your good. They're for your beauty. They're not fearful things. There's success that he has for you. I'm ending with this. Success that he has for you. That's beyond anything you can imagine. He just wants your heart. We're going to dismiss. We're going to have um, parents pick up kids. You're free to go. But we're going to have the worship team just play for a little bit. For those who want to stay just sit before the Lord, stand before the Lord and say, God, give me the capacity to take what Holy Spirit said to me today and move myself forward in the grace of God with what he has for me next. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Harbor Church Podcast. I hope that you were enriched, inspired, and blessed by what you heard. Please subscribe on the podcast app and be sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also download our Harbor Church mobile app. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.